remember the joy. You've forgotten the joy. What was that? You heard something? Well, I thought I did. Twice. What was it, this, this thing you heard? A voice. And it said, remember the joy, the first time. And then it said, you've forgotten the joy. Did you hear it? Well, it, it was... It was probably, um, yeah, I heard it. Hey, wait a minute. Am I on candid camera? Where, where are, where the, uh, where'd you hide the, um, where'd you hide the, uh... It's not candid camera. Oh, well, good. I'm having a bad hair day today. <laughs> but, but, okay, uh, where'd that voice come from? Well, it's in here. Excuse me? It came from in here. The voice, it's inside me. That's what I thought you said. Oh, it's okay. Lots of people have uh, a voice inside them like this. Oh, sure. I have a voice like that, too. It says weird stuff sometimes. Like, take that last donut, you deserve it. Or, say five more minutes. Just five more minutes. It's not that kind of voice. Okay, so what kind of voice is it then? Well, it's kind of um, supernatural. Super who? Super man-like? Super Xena warrior princess? I hate to bust her a bubble, but things like that are, they're fake. You know, it's like, you know, special effects. No, no, it's for real. The voice, it's real. I, I thought I was the only one who ever heard the one inside of me, though, but it's real. So, what do you call this voice? Does it have a name like Irving or Elizabeth or maybe it's a celebrity voice like Clint Eastwood? Do you feel lucky? Now you're making fun of me. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, man. Ned, I'm really interested. Tell me more. Well, people, people call it different names. Um, Comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
I guess some folks might even identify it as uh, the voice of God. The voice of God? Yes. As in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God Almighty. The first, the last, the great I am. That God. And this voice tells you... All kinds of things. Just like right now, he was reminding me uh, of something in the Bible. That verse about restore to me the joy of your salvation. Psalms. I think it's in Psalms. Yeah. It was reminding me that although things aren't going so well in my life right now, I've already won the war over sin and death. <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of eternity celebrating with the one who created the whole universe. The one who created the whole universe. Not because I've done anything to deserve it, but God loves me. He loves me enough to open up heaven because I believe in Jesus. That's what the voice is saying. Well, I didn't hear all that. <laughs> you didn't? No, I... I guess it doesn't work that way, does it? You actually have to have the voice in, inside you to hear it. But it is inside of you. Has it been there very long? Yeah, it has. And that's a good thing? Well, sure. It encourages, encourages me when, when, when I feel low, like, like right now. Uh, it guides me when I face tough decisions. It tells me when I've done something wrong so I can correct you know, some of my mistakes before I, I get into real trouble. At least it would do all those things if, if I listened a little better. I guess... Uh, I guess I ignore the voice too many times. And all this is, is info, straight from, you know, the big guy. God? Yep, it's from God. And you said he loves you, like, a lot. God loves me. He loves all of us more than we could ever imagine. Well, if he's so big and powerful and loves you so much, oh, hey, this is my bus. Listen, this voice thing, it's a pretty good thing. Um, it's a pretty good deal. I think you should probably pay more attention to it. You know. Well done, my child. Well done. Thanks. And, and well, just thanks.
when God's Spirit speaks to us, when we hear that voice down deep on the inside, it is always repetitive and it's kind. God speaks and He just keeps saying it to us and saying and speaking and speaking and speaking. He's kind, He's a gentleman. He won't knock down the door, but he is persistent, and he will keep talking to us. And his message to us is like handwriting on the wall of life. And the worst thing we can do is blow God off when he begins to speak. The best thing we can do is listen and do whatever he's telling us. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel chapter 5. Book of Daniel chapter 5. Because we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 5 a young ruler by the name of Belshazzar. Belshazzar had a hard time listening to the voice of God. He chose to make the wrong decision and that is to blow off what God was trying to say to him. So when the handwriting is on the wall, when God is speaking to us, we need to listen and listen well and respond to whatever he's saying when that handwriting is on the wall. Allow me to give you some background and then I'm going to sort of walk you through some of the story of Daniel chapter 5 and then we're going to begin, we'll kick in with verse 13. In 539 B.C., it's where this story takes place. In the nation of Babylon, which had been up to that point the greatest military, political power in the Middle East and thus on the face of the earth, or at least the known world at that time. Nebuchadnezzar, whom we visited with in previous weeks, had been king of Babylon. The first Nebuchadnezzar had passed off the scene. You have a second Nebuchadnezzar comes on. His name is actually, and his name always is challenging to pronounce, Nabobonidus, and Nabobonidus takes the name Nebuchadnezzar because that is sort of the name that gives him political power and influence since Nebuchadnezzar I was by far the greatest political and powerful military figure that Babylon had ever known. So it's good to take on his name so that you would sort of inherit all that goodwill and that power. He has a son, Belshazzar. Belshazzar becomes a co-regent or a co-ruler with his dad. And in the story we're going to read this morning, his dad has gone out to battle about 50 miles from the city of Babylon. Now remember that in those days they did not have any of the modern communications that you and I have. No cell phones, telephones, anything of that nature. And so everything passed by word of mouth. Someone had to bring a message to you. Belshazzar in this story story, does not know that his dad has been defeated in battle by the Persians Again, 50 miles outside of the city of Babylon. And so he throws a great big party one night there in the city of Babylon. Now, as he throws this great big party, he invites all of the leadership of Babylon. And says there's about a thousand of them out there. And if there was ever a night of wine, women, and song, it was this night. Belshazzar is a young guy. He is powerful, at least he thinks he is, and he is rich, and he is a co-regent with his dad. And so he sits up there, and he begins to drink, and to drink heavily. All the lords and the various leaders of Babylon join him, and they begin to drink, and everybody is getting good and drunk. 
and they are just having the time of their lives. Now, what he does not know while they are drinking and living it up that night is that the Persian army has defeated his dad and is on the plains of Babylon getting ready to attack the city. Now, archaeologists and historians of the Middle East have discovered some fascinating information that's not contained in the book of Daniel, but helps to set up this story. The city of Babylon was not only the most mighty military power of its day, but it had been built with a defensive system that was almost impossible to be able to defeat. In those days, you would build a city and put walls around it, and if you constructed your walls thick enough and structured them just right, it would make it very difficult for an invading army to attack and take your city. And the walls of Babylon were basically impregnable. It was impossible. They were so thick, and the way they were constructed, it was just impossible for an invading army to attack the city and take it. And the Persians understood that. But as in any defensive scheme, there's always a weakness And Babylon had a weakness that the Babylonians didn't recognize. They had built the city so that the Euphrates River flowed literally underneath the walls of the city into the city and through the city so that the people had a ready source of water. Now, the Babylonians thought, hey, by doing this, even if we are surrounded and they lay siege, we will always have water. Well, the Persians outsmarted them. After Cyrus had taken and defeated his dad, they went upstream from Babylon, dammed up the Euphrates River so that the riverbed had no water in it, and then they marched down to the city, marched underneath the walls of the city, and marched into Babylon totally unopposed. And that sets up the story as we're going to look at it. Now, again, King Belshazzar is sitting up in his big party. He's having the time of his life. There, he's drinking it up, and you know, nothing like you know, getting full of alcohol to get yourself thinking that you're really something. And the more he drinks, the more arrogant he becomes. And so he knows that there are these vessels, these gold and silver vessels that were taken years ago by Nebuchadnezzar I, brought into the city from the temple in Jerusalem. And he orders for these goblets of silver and gold taken from the temple in Jerusalem to be brought in there and they begin to fill them with wine and they begin to drink from these goblets and they begin to offer, if you will, toast to the false gods of Babylon. This is utter blasphemy. This is utter arrogance. And also as they were doing this, it was their sort of way of saying that the gods of Babylon are greater than the God of the Israelites. In fact, as they drank from these goblets, it was sort of a physical way of saying that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is subject to the gods of Babylon. So they're just sitting back there having a big time. And all of a sudden, this hand appears. And the hand begins to write on the wall. And archaeological excavations that they have done of the throne room of the kings of Babylon, they have discovered that the walls of that throne room had white gypsum plaster on them, which would have been perfect to write on. And this hand appears and it begins to write. And the Bible says that the king, who thought he was in control, all of a sudden turns about as white as the walls around him. It says the color of his face began to change. And then it says that his legs begin to shake and his knees begin to knock. 
And he was scared half to death. But I mean, if you're sitting at a party and some hand appears and starts writing on the wall of your house or wherever you are, you're probably going to change colors and start shaking too. And so Belteshazzar is watching this and he just doesn't know what in the world is going on. And when the hand finishes writing on the wall, he wonders, what in the world is the message here? So he calls for all of the magicians, enchanters, and everybody that he can get who is a wise man in Babylon. And he says, give me the interpretation. Well, they're looking at it and they're trying to read it. And they cannot figure out for the life of them what has been written on the wall. Well, the queen mother is passing past the banquet hall. And she hears what's going on and begins to discern what's happening. And so she goes into the banquet hall and she goes up to her son, the king. And she says, go king, live forever. If you were a mom, wouldn't you just hate having to say something like that to your adult son? But anyway... I think you'd be more tempted to say, you better listen up, bud. But she says, here, O king, live forever. And then she says, I understand that you cannot understand what has been written on the wall. But there's a guy, years ago, that gave an interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar of a dream. And he's got the spirit of the gods in him. His name is Daniel, named Belteshazzar. Go get Daniel. I bet he can give you the interpretation. As best Bible scholars can tell, Daniel was an old man at this time, probably pushing 80 years of age. They bring Daniel in. Now, when Belshazzar looks at Daniel, he greets him by saying, Oh, you were one of the exiles from Israel, which is a put-down. It's his way of saying, oh, you're one of those little raunchy, nasty exiles. Look at you. But I understand, Belteshazzar says, that the spirit of the gods is in you. And you have the ability to, give, to tell the interpretation of dreams. Look at this, what's on the wall, and give me the interpretation, if you will. And that's where we will join the story. Verse 13 of Daniel chapter 5. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. That is Nebuchadnezzar or, ne or his dad, Nebuchadnezzar, then him and then Daniel. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nonetheless, I will write... I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly. 
He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you, your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, mini, tekel, parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Meshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Meshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. My sermon outline is in your bulletin, and I invite you to follow along, if you will. When God speaks to us, when the handwriting is on the wall, the best thing we can do is listen and listen carefully to what God is saying. Verse 5, God always knows how to get our attention. Belshazzar is sitting there with all the lords and all the leaders of Babylon. He's drunk. He thinks he is the man. He is young. He is powerful. And he thinks he is about to rule it. And he's throwing him a party, and he is the man of the hour. And all of a sudden, he gets knocked out of his drunkenness very quickly when this hand appears and begins to write on the wall. God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to step into our lives, often when we least expect it, and say, hey, you better listen to what I'm trying to say to you. Now, the first thing that he does, Belshazzar does, is he turns to the wrong people to get an answer. He's trying to understand what God is saying by listening to people who do not walk with the Lord. And so he calls all of the magicians and the chanters and all the wise men of Babylon. And he says, what is on that wall and what is the message? And they can't figure it out to save their lives. And folks, when you and I go anywhere but the Lord to understand what the Lord is trying to say to us, we will not understand what the Lord is saying to us. And so many times we are tempted and our culture tends to go in the direction of not going to the Lord to try to understand what God has put in place and what God is trying to say. We go to blogs, we go to social media, we go to celebrities to try to hear about how we should live our lives, how to conduct family life, how to have marriage, you name it, how to get wisdom about how to live. Turn on the radio, turn on the television, go on 
Facebook, etc. And you can see all kinds of comments and ideas about how to live your life. But folks, the Lord gave us life. He's the one we got to go to to get a message from. And when we go anywhere else but the Lord, we're going to end up as frustrated and as confused as Belshazzar was. He was looking in the wrong place to try to understand what God was saying to him. And listening to God and those folks who walk closely with him and seeking godly wisdom is the only place that you and I are going to really learn and understand what God is trying to say to us. And so he's in that total state of confusion. He's allowed pride to rule his life and to take over his life. Notice it says that he's, he's drinking it up. And you know, so often when we get arrogant and when in society and culture... Drugs, alcohol, etc. are what Satan uses to create pride, arrogance, and to get us totally off the game of what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Now, as I said, his dad had been beat by an invading army of Persia 50 miles away. He didn't know that. But you see, the problem he had that night was that the only person who could bail him out of the mess he was about to get into was God. And that was the one person he wasn't listening to. Little did he know as he sat up there holding that party that the waters of the Euphrates had stopped running into Babylon. As the evening progressed, he had no idea that that army of Persia was literally up against the walls, marching underneath the walls in that muddy riverbed, making its way into the city. Apparently he had no guards, no one posted, waiting Looking, listening. They thought the army was a long ways away. God knew the time had come and it was over with for him. And what Daniel says to him is very interesting. He says, Belshazzar, you're dead. And you know the story, Belshazzar. Your dad was the king. And he had all the power. And for seven seasons, we saw this last week in Daniel chapter 4. Your dad lived out in a field. Hair grew all long. Fingernails the size of what a hawk would have. Lost his mind. He was out there living like an animal, smelling like an animal, looking like an animal. And God humbled him. And you know that story. Now, he had either heard the story from his dad or he may have been old enough to have looked out the window and seen his dad acting like a fool. Talking, acting, smelling like an animal. Is that your dad out there? Well, let's just talk about something else. You know, dad's a little off. Been off for a while. Daniel looks at him and he says, you saw this. You knew this. You know what humbleness is. You know how your dad humbled himself before God. And you have totally ignored it. In fact, you've taken it a step higher. You have blasphemed God. You have blown God off. And tonight, you're going to lose everything. Folks, there is a principle here, and the principle is this. 
The judgment of God in a person's life and the swiftness and severity of that judgment is in direct proportion to the truth that they have known and been exposed to. Belshazzar had been exposed and had known tremendous truth from God that he needed to walk in humbleness and he had blown God off. And so this night, even though he was a young man, God was saying, tonight you're going to be judged. Tonight you're going to lose the kingdom. Tonight the judgment of God is going to fall on you. Tonight you're going to lose your life. And you see, the more truth we have exposure to, and we know, and the more we reject that truth, the more severe is going to come the judgment of God and the swifter comes the judgment of God. Now let me pause before I go any farther in this message. Because preaching the judgment of God is not something that we preachers enjoy doing. And it is not something the congregations enjoy listening to. And we pretty much have that most everything, is a lot of what's being said today doesn't even touch the issue of the judgment of God. We talk a lot about the love of God and the mercy of God as we should. But we don't ever talk much about the judgment of God. But folks, we have got to investigate and understand the whole counsel of God. Not just the counsel of God that we like. Belshazzar had blown God off and tonight he was going to pay the results of that. Verses 23 through 30. Daniel looks at him and says, Belshazzar. The God in whose hand you are holds your breath. You think you run the show, you think you control it, but God controls even the breath that's coming out of your mouth. You are in His hand. You don't tell God who He is, and you don't tell God how He runs this world or even runs your kingdom. God tells you who He is. God tells you how he functions and how he acts. God tells you how your kingdom is going to be run. We don't define God to God. We don't define God to ourselves. God is in control and he defines to us who he is. Dr. Shazar thought he could tell God, hey, I'm in control here. And my gods are in control. And I run the show. And my gods run the show here in Babylon. And God proved to him that night, no, you don't run the show. And you don't tell me who I am and how much power I've got and how much power I do not have. I run the show of your kingdom. It's not your kingdom ultimately. It is mine. And notice what he says to him in the interpretation of this dream. God has nimmered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. God has determined your kingdom's history. Notice verse 27, you have been weighed in the balances and found warning. Now the word weighed there is a term that means to evaluate something. And what he's saying is, Belshazzar, God has taken you and he has evaluated your life. He's evaluated your attitudes. He has evaluated who you are. And you've come up short. You have come up short. And because of that, you are going to lose your kingdom tonight. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12, was read earlier. Listen to the words again. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written... 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, is saying, the day is going to come when all of us are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be evaluated just like Belshazzar was evaluated. We will give an account before the Lord as to how we lived our lives, as to how we responded to the Lord, as to how did we choose to respond to the truth that God gave us. And God, excuse me, Daniel looked as the messenger of the Lord that night to Belshazzar and he said, listen, you have been evaluated and you have come up short. And you're going to pace the judgment of God because you have come up short. And folks, all of us someday are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be evaluated and we're going to give an account to him for how we have lived our lives on this earth. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he will gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, the greatest loss that Belshazzar had that night was not his kingdom. He lost his kingdom. But he lost his soul before he lost his kingdom. Belshazzar had known the truth. He knew he was supposed to humble himself before the Lord. And he absolutely refused to do it. And he kept blowing off the truth of God and the patience of God and the mercy of God until it was too late. And there comes a day when it's too late. God extends His grace to us and extends His grace to us and extends His grace to us. But if we continuously ignore the Lord, blow off the Lord, there comes a day when we have crossed the line. Billy Graham years ago told the story, the fictitious story, but to illustrate a point that Satan brought his demon advisors together. And he asked them, he said, what do we need to do to keep people from coming to know Jesus as their Savior? And one demon said, well, tell them God doesn't exist. And another one said, tell them that the the Bible isn't the Word of God. And the devil looked at them and says, well, that's good, but I think we can do better. Finally, one demon said, just tell them they got more time. Just tell them they've got more time. And Satan responded and said, that's it. We'll just tell them they got more time. When I was in my first pastorate, I served as a chaplain on the side at Prince William Hospital in Manassas. 
And one morning, Monday morning, I received a phone call. There was a gentleman who was very ill, and they needed the chaplain for the week to come and visit him. And I remember going into that man's room. I'd never met him before. I walked in, I introduced myself to him, and I began to talk with him. He was quite ill. They had told him that there was a good chance that he would not live through the week. And I remember standing there and talking to him, and he was caught up in all this anger about some guy from his past who hadn't paid him back a certain amount of money. And I talked with him, and I invited him to trust Christ. But every time I would try to point him to Jesus, he would point the conversation back at this guy in his hatred of this guy in his money. And I remember standing beside his bed thinking, you are dying. You have been told that you're going to die. The need for the hour is Jesus, not satisfying your hatred for somebody. Not satisfying or trying to get money. That's not going to do you one ounce of good. One second into eternity. And he laid there in that bed that day. And he refused to trust Jesus as his Savior. And that was on Monday. And I had his funeral on Friday. And to the best of my knowledge, he never did trust Christ as his Savior. He put off the decision and put off the decision because his focus was on money and on hatred and on unforgiveness. Until it was too late. What is God saying to you? What is the Lord trying to communicate to us? What is the handwriting that is on the wall? I beg of you this day, do not make the mistake of thinking I've got one more day, one more week, one more hour. I read years ago, the people who sometimes plan to repent at 12 o'clock die at 11 o'clock. Because if you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, there will come a day, there will come an hour when it is too late. And you cannot put it off. And none of us knows that hour. God alone knows that hour. That's why He sent Jesus. Because Jesus makes us ready for that hour. If we will just come to Him for cleansing... And come to Him to let Him change our lives. Years later, from that first pastorate, I got a call from a funeral home in Powhatan, Virginia, where I was pastoring at the time. And they said, we've had a gentleman that has passed away. It was over the Christmas holidays. And we need you to do his funeral. He didn't have a pastor. And I remember when I went in and I sat down with the family. And I had been warned ahead of time. This guy was a tough, mean businessman. And one of the ladies in my church told me, she said, the only reason there's going to be people at the funeral service is because of his wife. I thought, this is going to be an interesting funeral service. Because people liked her, but he was really bad. And I sat down with the family and I said, could you all give me some memories of your father and your grandfather? And it was dead silence in the room. And I thought, well, they just didn't understand my question. So I'll just ask it again. So I said, can you give me some memories of your father and your grandfather? And they were just dead silence in the room again. And I thought, 
oh, this is not going to be a fun funeral service to conduct. And then someone handed me a letter that he had written. This gentleman had passed away from cancer. And they said, this is a letter that he wrote primarily to his family and to folks. And would you read it at the funeral service? I took that letter and I began to read the letter. And I can't give you the words verbatim. It was basically to this effect. I know that I really screwed up. And I know that I really hurt a lot of people. And this disease has taught me the mistakes that I have made. And I apologize. And I apologize to my family. And I remember standing in the funeral service and reading that letter. And just feeling the whole atmosphere in the room change. You see, he woke up before it was too late. And he got right with God before it was too late. And he sought to get right with people through that letter before he left this earth. What is the handwriting that God has on the wall of our lives? What is he saying to us this day? That we don't need to blow it off and ignore it. We need to listen and do what God is asking and even begging us to do. Let's pray. Father, you love us and you speak to us because you love us. But then we have to choose to listen. God, help us to listen. And Lord, for the amount of truth that we've been given, we are responsible for that truth. Jesus, help us to say yes to you. And thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus, we can move from the throne of our life to letting you be on that throne. We can get on our knees instead of standing up in your face. And Jesus, we can find the forgiveness and the compassion and the embrace that you have for us if we will just humble ourselves before you. We don't have to make the mistake that that king made so long ago. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today, or if you're listening through any of the ways that this service goes out, through radio, through social media. What is God saying to you? What is He saying to you? What do you need to do about what He's saying to you? And if you need to give your life to him this day. Allow me to encourage you to just pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus. Today. 
I want to follow you. And Lord, the best I know how, I turn my life over to you. At the conclusion of this service today, I'll be at the front doors. And if you want me to pray with you, etc., I'd be more than happy to do that. Or talk with you about any spiritual matter. Jacob, our youth minister, is available also. He'd love to talk with you. And pray with you. And those of you that are listening through various means, give us a call here at the church. We would love to pray with you and help you in any way we can. Lord, have your way with us. May we, Lord, hear your voice and may we yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship.